Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Never have we seen the world in such jeopardy as it is now. Our problems are beyond human imagination and beyond human solution. One of our many threats is coming from the Chinese communists. This nation is emerging as the greatest threat in the history of America. President Xi Jinping has created an electronic surveillance state that offers no privacy or independence for all of his billion citizens. The millions of Christians in China are at particular risk. He and his governments know that wherever anyone goes, whatever anyone says, and however anyone lives, the communists are looking in. He has turned Hong Kong into a prison, and he wants to do the same for Taiwan. Truth be told, he wants to do that to America as well. The communist government in China is buying up thousands of acres of American farmland, especially near our military bases. They are hacking into our computers, stealing our secrets and intellectual properties, flooding us with dangerous drugs, buying up our debt, undercutting our economy, producing our medicines, and dominating the world market of rare minerals, the ones necessary for modern technology. The United States depends on China like a junkie depends on heroin. At the same time, the Chinese are developing the most advanced military machine the world has ever known. Dr. John Mack wrote an article about all of this, and it was published just the other day by the U.S. Army War College. He said, The U.S. military strategy to combat China cannot be sustained. U.S. military forces are too small. Their supply lines are too vulnerable, and America's defensive industrial capacity is far too eroded to keep up with the material demands of a high-intensity conflict. He said China is now what the United States used to be in terms of economic power and industrial capacity. Unlike the Soviet Union, the United States and most Western nations are economically reliant on China. China has built a capacity to sustain a protracted war of any type. More directly, China is well-positioned to sustain a protracted high-intensity war of attrition. The United States is not currently capable of doing this. He went on to say we can debate the underlying reasons, an increasingly unfit and nationally ambivalent generation of Americans does not worry about the threat of war. However, it is evident that many Americans take their security for granted and do not likely consider that the horrors of war could be visited upon them directly. He ended by saying the United States is at one of its most vulnerable positions in history. History shows Americans can be reluctant to act until war forces them to. With respect to China's threat, that may then be too late to protect the U.S. homeland or the Western liberal international order. Wow, what an article that was that 
the general wrote for the U.S. War College. And yet China is only one of the threats facing the United States. We're living on a planet facing multiple existential crises. So we have to ask, what is our world coming to? It's very important for every Christian on earth to know the truth that is contained in the second psalm. Scarcely any scripture is more relevant to our situation in the world today than Psalm number two. It gives us a theology for understanding world history. It gives us a theology of current events. So let me read Psalm two, and then we'll study it together. David was the author, and he said, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Now, this is a very unusual psalm because it is composed from the perspective of four different speakers. If we were doing this psalm dramatically on the stage, I would have four different people on the stage reading the four paragraphs. It is 12 verses divided into four paragraphs of three verses each. In my own Bible, I've taken a pencil and put these four speakers over the four paragraphs. Each of the speakers adds something to our understanding about what in the world is going on and what it means to us. So let's look at it this way. In verses 1, 2, and 3, the world is speaking. The world has something to say. In other words, in this first paragraph of Psalm 2, the first speaker is composed of the current rulers of this world, people like Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and all of the others. It says, why does the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Here's what the nations of the world are saying. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Do you see that in verse 3? In other words, let us rebel and break free from God and from his restraints and from his rule and from his sovereignty. Our astronauts who go into space, especially those who have gone to the moon, have looked back at the earth and they see it to be a little blue marble dangling in the dark void of space. And almost without exception, they have come back saying something like this. When I look at our little planet, with the only known life in the entire universe, eight billion of us on this small marble, it seems inconceivable that for thousands of years, 
All we have been doing is waging war against one another, developing weapons to kill one another. How can that be? Well, the answer is here. The kings of the earth are rebelling against the Messiah and against God. It says here, the world is in rebellion against the Lord God Almighty and against his anointed one. Do you see that phrase? In the Hebrew, the word is Mashiach, or in English, Messiah. Now, the question immediately here in Psalm 2 is, who is that? Who is the Messiah? The Lord's anointed. The world is rebelling against God and his anointed one. Who is that? Well, in the immediate context, David here is talking about himself. Remember the prophet Samuel anointed David as the king of Israel. And David was ruling as the anointed one, or the Mashiach, under the authority of Almighty God. Many commentators believe that this is a coronation psalm, that it was meant to be sung when David and Solomon and all of the kings of that line were crowned. And so in this context, the nations of the world were rebelling against the God of Israel, and God had appointed David as the king and placed him on the throne to maintain the kingdom of Israel in a hostile world. But of course, David was also speaking uh, prophetically. I, I don't know how much he understood about this, but the Holy Spirit was clearly directing him to write about somebody else, about the ultimate Messiah who was to come. And we know this because of Acts chapter 4, where the Jewish Sanhedrin placed Peter and John on trial and berated them. And when these disciples were released, they came back to their friends. And it says in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, beginning with verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And now they quote directly from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word of God with boldness. So, Psalm number two is messianic. In its immediate context, it was talking about the anointed king of Israel, David, and his successors. But in the ultimate contact, it was talking about the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, or the Christ, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is rebelling against him. They say, let's get rid of God and against Jesus Christ, his Messiah, we do not want to operate under their sovereign authority. That's the first paragraph. Now we come to the second paragraph and to the second speaker. Here, the Lord God has something to say. God the Father speaks. He begins by laughing in ridicule. It says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, And now the Lord has one sentence to say. I have installed my king in Zion, my holy mountain. Most commentators think that laughter here is anthropomorphic. In other words, the Lord may not literally laugh, but it's the writer's way of using human responses to tell us how ridiculous it is to God that anyone or any nation could think they could successfully rebel against him. The Lord looks down at Xi Jinping and laughs at him. He looks down at Kim Jong-un and laughs at him. He looks down at the Ayatollah in Iran or Vladimir Putin, and he has something to say to these people. He looks down at America and is not in the least intimidated by godless secularity. He says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. In other words, God the Father says, I have an answer to the chaos on earth. I have a king. I have anointed a king. Now, when he wrote this, David was thinking about himself. He was saying to himself, the nations around me think they can destroy Israel, but the Lord laughs at them. He has established me as his king, and we will win the victory. But the Holy Spirit was thinking beyond David to David's great descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord says, I have an answer for all of the turmoil on earth. I'm going to put my Messiah, my Christ, my king on the throne of Zion. God's answer to the turmoil in the world is to place Jesus Christ over the ark of history. Now, in the third paragraph, beginning in verse 7, we come to the third speaker. This is the anointed one himself. This is Christ, the Son of God. It is subtle but unmistakable. The anointed one, the Messiah, this one who is king, says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. In other words, I will tell you what Yahweh, God my Father, told me. He said to me, you are my son, today I become your father. Now, here again, the immediate application is to David. He was going to back to what God had told him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 with the covenant that God had made with him. The Lord said to him in 2 Samuel 7, in my paraphrase, I am making you into a dynasty that will produce an ultimate king. And with this covenant, I am saying to you and to your descendants that when you rise to the throne of Israel, you will be my son and I will be your father. So there was a sense in which this was true for David and for all of the sons of Israel who were anointed as the king of Israel. But the ultimate fulfillment of this is Christ. And we know that because in Paul's first recorded sermon, which is in Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 32, he says, We tell you the good news. What God has promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The book of Hebrews says the same thing. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in effect, God wasn't speaking to angels, but to Jesus when he said, you are my son, today I become your father. And so the father invites the son, the anointed one, the king, to ask him for something. 
Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And this will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. This passage about Jesus breaking the nations with a rod of iron and ruling over them is alluded to them in Revelation 19, a description of the return of Christ. It says that when Jesus comes again, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, which is a quotation from Psalm 2. Our Lord came the first time to offer salvation to the world. He is allowing the world to flounder for a while, but he is coming again to close the opportunity of salvation and to judge the world and to rule the nations and to usher in his eternal kingdom. So that's the third speaker. The first speaker says, that's the world. Let's break free from Almighty God. In the second paragraph, the Lord laughs and says, not so fast. I've installed my anointed one as king. And in the third paragraph, the Messiah says, He is my father, I am his son, and he has given me the nations as my inheritance, and I'm going to come as king of kings and rule them with an iron scepter. And now we come to the fourth paragraph. And here the Holy Spirit, who inspired the psalmist, adds his own voice. Now think of this. The first paragraph is spoken by the world. The second paragraph, by God the Father. The third paragraph, by God the Son. And the fourth, by God the Holy Spirit. He says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the Son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. In other words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the psalmist is saying the Most High rules in the affairs of men. God is in control in these little potentates and aristocrats and dictators and presidents and premiers. They rise and fall. They come and go. They live and die and they stand before God and are condemned, if they had any sense, they would bow down right now and embrace the Son and kiss Him and love Him and serve Him and celebrate His rule, a single flare-up of His wrath, and they are no more. So the world says, let's break free from God. The Father says, I've appointed a king. The Messiah said, I am God's Son. He's my Father, and He's given me the nations of my, as my inheritance. And the Holy Spirit said, So if you are smart, you will bow down and celebrate His rule. And now we come to the crowning final sentence of the psalm. This is the way that it ends. This is something you and I can say. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now, blessed is a very common word. It's the way that Psalm 1 begins. And refuge is also a very common word in the Psalms. It shows up over 40 times in the book of Psalms and a lot of times also in Isaiah. What does it mean? I was in Oklahoma recently, and on my first night there, tornadoes erupted all around the area. They didn't come directly toward my hotel, but I'll have to admit that I looked through the window to see if I could see a tornado. 
a nearby town, was almost demolished. Well, the next day, I was visiting a bank. It was First United Bank in Moore, Oklahoma, which had sponsored my visit. We began by talking about the storms the night before, and the lady who was showing us around told us of a time when she and her fellow bankers had fled for the safety of the vault during a tornado. I looked this up later, and there was a newspaper that reported on the story. It was during the terrible outbreak of tornadoes that narrowly destroyed the town of Moore, Oklahoma, some years ago. On that day, tornadoes came so quickly and powerfully, there was almost nowhere to hide and no time to get there. There were 22 people in the bank that day, both employees and customers, the youngest, a 10-year-old boy. They all fled to the vault for refuge. It was encased in concrete and steel, and they stayed there until the storm passed them by. When they finally opened the door and ventured out, nothing was left of the bank. Nothing was left of the buildings. Nothing was left of the entire block. Everything was gone. A junkyard of debris. Only the vault had survived. And as she told me that, I thought of Jesus Christ. He's our vault, and in him are all of the riches of glory. And he is our hiding place. In a perilous world, we find safety in him. Blessed are those who find refuge in him. He is our spiritual refuge. He is our emotional refuge. He is our eternal refuge. The only answer to this dangerous and hell-bent world is found in our King, our Messiah, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. The world said, let's rebel. God the Father said, I have a King. God the Son said, and God the Father is going to give me the nations as my inheritance. And God the Spirit said, you must reverence the Son and find in him a refuge from the tornadoes of this tempestuous world. And we say, blessed are we, for we find refuge in him. Well, that's Psalm 2. Thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is by our engineer, Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And may God be with you until we meet again.